Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning bringing our praise, bringing our worship. All the honor belongs to you. We thank you for your son Jesus and the hope that he brings us because of what he did on the cross. And just as we just read from Isaiah and the prophecy that he came to this earth, we're so grateful and we thank you for that. We ask now that we would turn our attention, our eyes, our ears and our hearts to what Pastor Chad has for us this morning as we learn from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. What a good way to start Christmas season. So I'll get to say Merry Christmas. Uh, I, I do love Christmas despite what some of you think because I like to wait through Thanksgiving. But I love what Christmas means for us. I love that it is the celebration of the arrival, the, the advent, the coming of Christ and the gift that that is to us. So if you would turn in your Bibles to two passages, both Isaiah 9, and then you can hold your place there and also turn to Luke 1. So Isaiah 9 and Luke 1. In 1952, Queen Elizabeth ascended the throne, and in so doing, she made her three-year-old son, Charles, the heir apparent. What he, nor she, nor anyone, in fact, knew at the time is that he would be the longest-lasting heir apparent in history, right? That for 70 years, as his mom reigned as monarch, that he would be waiting. Because of that, he became then the oldest monarch at the time of his coronation just a few weeks ago. 70 years waiting to become king. It seems like quite the wait, right? Kind of always knowing that that's on the horizon, or at least always hoping that it was on the horizon. Due to some circumstances that he chose, it was in question there for a little while whether or not he would actually get to take the throne. And you, now, with that in mind, you can imagine an entire nation waiting for your king. Not, not one that you could watch and see grow up and Watch while there is a queen on the throne. 
Not a king that you can see and observe, but one you have only been told about. One you've only heard is coming. And imagine that that's not 70 years, but generations of waiting for the promised one that was supposed to come. When we think of these types of scenarios, we do not think of hope as delightful or as joy-filled. Instead, it, it feels like torture, doesn't it? I mean, it's like the sad kind of waiting. But I would argue that a, the definition of true hope is the delightful anticipation of the completion of what is not yet seen. Hope is the delightful anticipation of the completion of what is not yet seen. You see, the difference between the hope that Prince Charles, or now King Charles, had was wondering if it would ever happen. But the hope that the nation of Israel had was a guaranteed kind of hope. It wasn't if it would happen, but when. And we, we see that fleshed out, literally, in the person and work of Jesus. We see it then described when Paul writes of this in, in a te text we were in just a few weeks ago in Ephesians 1. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to Hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's why when hope is described by Paul, it's so abundantly clear. Like this kind of waiting is felt by all creation. If we just sang of this a moment ago that it's groaning. The, the earth itself has produced thorns and thistles waiting, groaning, that torturous kind of wait. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. This is hope. This is a kind of hope that is not wavering or fleeting, but it is sure and steady. As the author of Hebrews writes, we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus is our hope. Right now, as we think of this kind of hope, this hope that is a delightful anticipation of the completion of what is not yet seen, we get to the arrival. We get to this idea of Christ himself, the promised one coming to earth. So as we look toward Christmas, which by the way, is on a Sunday this year, and I don't know what your normal Christmas morning looks like, 
but I really hope it includes being in this room with the church family gathered together because it's one thing to gather around the tree and open some presents. It's a whole other thing to, to sing together as a family of faith uh, on Christmas Day. Ooh, so like, don't miss that, okay? Uh, so as we look toward Christmas and this kind of hope, I'd like to consider who had this kind of hope before Jesus' arrival and how we should have this kind of hope before Jesus' return. So first we'll see this, that Israel, the nation of Israel, hoped for the king's arrival. That's the passage in Isaiah 9 I wanted you to turn to. So let me read that. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior is in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Israel hoped for the king's arrival. They were hearing this kind of prophecy, surely with great anticipation, with great, like there's even words like joy and gladness. They're wanting the king to come. But what we know from the full context, especially of the Old Testament, and then when Jesus does come and there seems to be some disappointment, and even today when a people are still misinterpreting truths of Scripture and they're still waiting when the king has already arrived. You see, so often that's because they wanted a king who would conquer the enemy with fury. That's what they were projecting, predicting would happen. They were, they were hoping for a, a different kind of king. They had seen a visible king in Saul and David and Solomon and the kings that followed. This is not the kind of hope that Charles had, right? When he headed to the throne where the monarch is mostly ceremonial in responsibilities. Instead, this was a wishing that the king would destroy all of the visible enemies and conquer all the tangible kingdoms, that's what the, the people of Israel were wanting and longing for. It was uh, really looking for one that would solve their problems. 
We don't like this enemy. We need one to come and wipe them out. This is difficult for us, so we, we need the king to come and destroy that one that is making life hard for us. Sure, they would have often seen a passage like this in Isaiah 9, not envisioning a mild and meek healer of the sick, but instead one of furious and fiery domination of the weak. It, it would seem that at, maybe even at least initially that there would have been disappointment. If, if Jesus is the king, then that seems unsatisfactory to them. Because what they got was something very different than what they wanted. What was given is that they received a child who would liberate the captives with peace. See, they would set free. The one Jesus would come to, to set free those who were in bondage and in slavery. I mean, which is better? Conquer the enemy, gaining fear of other nations, or liberate the captives, gaining peace. I think what some would say is, why not have, why not have uh, both? <laughs> Can't we just conquer and force peace? Isn't that how it's thought to be brought about sometimes? That I'll, I will require peace to be given. So that's the kind of king we need, the kind of king that will dominate and destroy, making, making everyone have peace with us. And yet what we got was a all-powerful, certainly, but one who lived in humility setting captives free, gaining peace through their freedom instead of through their trepidation. And, and this is really, in, in many ways, like the example of the gospel. This is what you get. You, you get set free from your sin, and that's where you find peace. That's where you gain this kind of hope. You see, you were that enemy of God. It's possible even some of you in the room right now, some of you listening online right now, are that enemy of God. That you, you and I have sinned against God, right? God being perfect and righteous and holy in all of his ways. And we have gone against him. We've disobeyed him, disregarded his rules. In fact, like uh, offended him in our life, how we live, what we say, what we do, what we think, what we don't say, what we don't do what we don't think at times. We've, we've gone against his perfect righteous way so that, that sin has separated us from him. But he did. He sent his son Jesus 
not to annihilate us, not to wipe us out, not to take out his enemy, which we were, but instead to make way that we could be set free. That if we would place our faith and our trust in him, that we would be given him. We would get this Jesus, and this Jesus would produce in us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that we would be given all that we need in Christ. That seems like something worth hoping in, someone worth hoping in, right? This child would come, and not just in his infancy, but he would live a perfect life that we could not live. And he would die a death that we deserve to die. And he would conquer the grave that we could not conquer. And you see, this is why hope is the delightful anticipation of the completion of what is not yet seen. Because even when we trust in him, even when we hope in him, even when we place our faith in him, there's still more to be done, right? We're still waiting for the, the completion. We're waiting for the day of glory to come when, when we are standing face to face with him and we can gather together with brothers and sisters from all around the world, from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and we can be in the very presence of God. That is our hope. It's not just that Jesus came one time. It's that he makes a way for us to spend eternity with him. And there is, there is this kind of uh, expectation or even response of praise. You hear this, the zeal of the Lord of hosts. There is this idea of, of uh, joy in verse three, rejoicing. It even says it multiple times. You have, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy. They are glad. Like this is delightful, joy-filled, in, like pleasure satisfaction for them. And it should be for us. So now I want you to, to fast forward the tape with me, right? So there's prophecy that is spoken of in a way that would say, okay, people of Israel have this kind of hope. Don't hope for a king that would destroy. Hope for a king that will bring peace. So now fast forward to the book of Luke. In the gospel according to Luke chapter 1, we have a character, a real person named Zechariah. And Zechariah hoped for his son's arrival. It's unique in this. We, we will find out in just a minute who Zechariah is the father of. So let me read part of Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. While the multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. 
you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which would be fulfilled in their time. The people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord had done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So here's, here's the story, if you don't recall it, there it is. Zechariah, a priest in the temple, goes into the temple, sees an angel. It is, turns out to be the angel Gabriel, it's a messenger from the Lord, and the messenger is prophesying that you will have a son named John. And this really shouldn't have been able to happen to Zechariah and Elizabeth. They shouldn't have been able to, by their, because of their age, been able to have children. They hadn't had any yet. And so he, he says he, he is uh, doubting this prophecy and the way in which he asks that. And so now, again, Move, move forward just a little bit more into verse 57. So Elizabeth gets pregnant, and in verse 57, Scripture says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. She bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by that name. They made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. They all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Here's what we have in this story and, and how it is connected to hope. You see, Zechariah, he wanted proof that a miracle would happen. Right? That's what he's asking for. When he asks this question of the angel, how are you going to do that? How are you going to prove to me that this is actually going to happen? Zechariah wanted a miracle, yes, but he wanted some special privilege as though he wasn't already getting a special privilege talking to an angel of the Lord. He wanted proof, a unique proof. By the way, this happens multiple times in Scripture. I think of one time specifically with Moses. 
Like, how are you going to do that, God? He's talking to a burning bush that's not really burning, and he's doubting what God through the bush is saying, right? I, I, I think sometimes, this is just a side note, we do this thing where we know clearly that the, the word of God is telling us something to do, and we say things like, man, I just wish it would be written in the sky. I wish, that just like, I wish an angel would come to me. Do you think you're better than Zechariah and Moses? You know what's likely to happen if an angel comes to you? You're going to be like, are you sure you're an angel? Like, that, like that's what we do, right? We have it. We call this book the word of God. It speaks to us. And we're like, I'm not really sure if I'm supposed to do that. Eh, I don't really know. Like it, it can't be more plain to us as this. He wanted proof that a miracle would happen, but he received a promise that a blessing would come. What he got was so much better than what he wanted. What if your only proof is the word of God? You know, I've, I've heard people say the most important um, proof you have is your testimony. And I know where that comes from. I know where that idea comes from. But I want to caution you with that concept. You see, a, a Muslim has a testimony of belief. Uh, a Hindu, a Buddhist, they have testimony of faith in something. One who worships ancestors, they have a, a belief. They have a testimony. An agnostic has a testimony of why their non-faith works. You see, our testimony only matters if it is rooted in the truth of Scripture. Testimony matters, yes, but our proof is that God spoke. God said it. There used to be a bumper sticker that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Doesn't matter if you believe it, God said it, that settles it. It, it does matter. I want us to believe it. Don't get me wrong. But do you, you understand what I'm saying? Like this, is, this promise is so much better than whatever proof we're looking for. This is why hope is then the delightful anticipation. Like, wow, a smile comes to our face when we think of this because there is a promise of a completion of what is not yet seen. In fact, when Zechariah finally sees it, he gets to speak again, right? He has just written down that his son's name is going to be John, just like Gabriel had told him. Here's what he says in verse 67 and following. Father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us 
to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, speaking of John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the pathway of peace. He got it. John, your job is going to be to, to point to the one. To point to the one who is our hope. It may have, may have taken him a few months to get it. I hope that it does not take us that long. Zechariah hoped for his son's arrival and Mary hoped for her son's arrival. We're still in Luke chapter one when a different prophecy takes place, a different angelic visit takes place. So I'm gonna go back with me to verse 26. So chapter one, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, Gabriel's pretty busy, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Her response to the angel Gabriel was different. It sounds similar initially because both of them had a question, right? It, it seems even like a similar question, but what, what we notice by the fact that she is not silenced and she is not reprimanded in any way, but in fact, she is celebrated. You see, it seems as if she wanted clarity regarding the miracle that would happen. Her question does not seem to be a question of doubting, will this happen? How will I know this will happen? But really, how's that going to happen? Right? She's, she's wanting clarity. Hey, I'm curious, how, what's, what's going to happen? Zechariah is saying, how will I know that it will happen? She is simply asking, how will it take place? I believe you, angel Gabriel, How's it going to happen? See, her hope is not misplaced or misguided. Instead, she's just seeking clarity. 
This is a good reminder for us. It is not just okay. I would argue that it's even wise for us to ask questions that help us understand with greater clarity the truth that we believe. Right? We want to, it, we want to be able to ask hard questions of Scripture. We want greater clarity, greater understanding of who God is and how he works. So don't be afraid of asking questions. It's different to ask a question than it is to question God. When we are questioning him, we are doubting him, right? Versus asking him a question to get clarity. In each of these circumstances, the people are wanting something. But what they get seems to be different than what they want. And in her case, Mary wanted this clarity, which she got, but what she received was the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is so much better. <laughs> right? She, she, even in the answer, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's good news. This isn't going to happen to you with pain or harm or difficulty. This is going to happen to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine then why that kind of hope would have again been a delightful anticipation of the completion of what is not yet seen? So Mary is now hoping for the Holy Spirit to come, hoping for the power of the Most High to come with great anticipation, with great excitement. And so, what is her response? Her response is, is the same. Look at verse 46. So Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty men from their mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. There's joy in that. There's celebration in that. There is excitement in all of this for she is receiving the very gift that she didn't even know she wanted. So then what about us? Right? For here today, we believe something about Jesus. Many, if not most of you here today, certainly the, those who are a part of the body of Christ, we would say we believe that Jesus did come. We're, we don't have to hope in his birth because he came. We, we believe that. We're, we're gathered. We got Christmas trees and lights and candles and uh, like all of the different things, right? We, for, for this celebration that Jesus did come. 
So our hope is not in one that might come, or is it? It's that we want. Our hope is in one that will come again. We hope in his return. See, Christians hope for the salvation's return. Again, I mentioned earlier that King Charles was waiting for 70 years to become king. I also asked if you could imagine an entire nation waiting for their king to arrive. Not just for 70 years, but for generations. And maybe it is, even as you heard that, your mind automatically went to the nation of Israel. And that would be correct. But understand, we are also a holy nation and a royal priesthood. And we now, we're not waiting for our king's first appearance, but his commanding return. This time, he will bring the sword and he will bring fury as he defeats the enemy and throws him into the lake of fire for all time. But, but sometimes, let me caution you, sometimes in our hope, we simply, we just want him to take away or to solve our problems. It's all we're wanting for from Jesus in his return, we just say, just take away the pain, take away the annoyance, take away the strife, take away the heartbreak. And I'm not saying you won't get that. I'm saying that, that that's all we're really after. Too often, we come to the word of God just wanting relief from heartache. We, we just want like bad stuff to go away. Instead of wanting him to come for us to simply have him. You see, what we want is for him to solve our problems. What we receive is satisfaction in his presence. We go to the word wanting more knowledge or do you go to the word wanting more of God? I want to know God, not just to know about God, not just to be able to get a better grade on the Sunday school quiz. Life is not just a seminary class. It is to be a delightful exchange of relationship in which we hope for the unimpeded relationship with Jesus. Yes, don't get me wrong. When we call on Jesus for salvation, when we place our faith in him, we get his presence. But because we continue to sin, it is, it's like there's a, uh, it's impeded, right? We have to continue to go to him in confession in this way. But upon glorification, there's, there's nothing to hinder us. We don't mess it up <laughs> repeatedly. 
So what we look forward to is not just that there will be no more pain, which there won't be. Not just there will be no more cancer, which there won't be. Not just that there will be no more dementia, which there won't be. Not just that there will be no more sadness, which there won't be. But that we will have Jesus. What we hope for is that we get more time with unimpeded time with Jesus. And so, listen then to this. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Yes, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from them spring of the water of life without payment. He says, I will be his God, and he will be my son. He wipes away every tear. He does take away pain and sorrow and sadness. But we long for the dwelling place of God. One more passage. He says, Surely I am coming soon. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. So we have delightful anticipation of the completion of what is not yet seen. We have hope. So we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We say, come. We want you here. Come get us. Take us home to this dwelling place forever and ever and ever. To those of you who are without it, I hope that you see that you need this kind of hope. What sadness you must be living in to live without confidence that there is one who is coming back for you. To live with with a, a fear and a doubt and a worry that those of us who are in Christ, we do not have. And let me speak to those of us who are in Christ. We do not have that fear. He gave us hope. He gave us promise. I'm coming back. I'm coming soon. So, in our response today, we sing to this King Jesus. The one who came and the one who will come again. And we wait but we wait 
eagerly, with great anticipation for the one who is to come. As you are, as you are thinking of ways to respond today, I, I pray if you do not know this Jesus, you want to know him, you want to have this kind of hope, then please come, come forward, come to this door right here to my left. There will be some here who would love to answer some questions you might have about that. But if you have this hope, then you have all of the reason in the world to sing and shout and respond with praise to the one who is our king. Stand with me as we respond.